Welcome back to another episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. Today, I'm joined by Jared Bidney to be discussing explosive mechanics, which is Jared's gym and his overall approach to training and fitness in athletes. Jared's results speak for themselves. He's trained world record holders in the International Powerlifting Federation, including a 16-year-old who squatted 600 pounds, a 17-year-old who squatted 611 pounds, and a 15-year-old who benched 325 pounds at 151-pound body weight. He's trained athletes in the NFL, the MLB, and beyond. He's trained the number one vertical jumper in the entire United States. He's been featured on news articles and magazines and so on. Jared is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to training athletes. And again, his results speak for themselves. This is an amazing episode if you're looking to get stronger, get faster, and improve your overall athletic performance. Before we get to this episode, here's a quick word from some of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by CTM Band and CTM Recovery Products. These are the exact soft tissue recovery tools that I'm using on myself and with my patients day in and day out. CTM Band was founded by Dr. Kyle Bowling, a sports medicine practitioner who treats professional athletes, and he was a former guest on the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. You can check out his website at the link below and use the coupon code BRAWN10 to save 10% off your order from CTM Band. Jared, welcome to the podcast. Really excited to have you on today, man. Hey, thanks, Dan. So would you mind filling us in a little bit about yourself and what you do? My base, I train athletes and I train athletes only. I don't really have a fitness background. All I care about is every time I speak and I reference human power uh, and try to get our athletes as strong as we can relative to our body weight. Uh, some of them gain weight and we get stronger. I've had kids squat triple body weight in high school. I had a 15 year old bench 335 at 151 pounds. Holy cow. That's more than I bench. <laughs> and so um, I'm really known for the increasing our verticals. I've had 35 athletes jump uh, 40 plus inches in the vertical and they don't always start there. They can start 19 inches. They can start 20s, mid 20s. Some of them start in the 30s. It's just getting them from point A to point B. Yeah, I've just been known for creating freaks. Uh, when the movie West Side Versus the World uh, was being filmed, uh, Louis told Michael Fahey, uh, hey, go down there, see what the hell he's doing. <laughs> And so that's how um, the uh, Michael Fahey West Side versus the world uh, found me as uh, Louis told him to come down to Georgia, see what the hell I'm doing with that. With the athletes. And so, um, and a couple of years ago, I had three guys out of 40,000 kids, three of them in the top 10 for the vertical. I had a number one and number seven and the, and the number nine guy. That's amazing. I had wow. seven in the top 50 and 11 in the top 100. That's insane. Those results speak for themselves. Yeah, because it's just not, they're just not genetic freaks. You know, if you ask a lot of the athletes that I've trained, they're not genetically gifted. I was, they'll say I was built this way. I was, I was made this way. So right, that's right. The, the background and what we do. And, and I, the thing is, I test my 40 yard dashes every month to make sure that we're not only getting stronger, but they're coming, these athletes are coming in, they need to run faster. If they're going to, if they're going to, play baseball they need to run a faster 60 if they need if they're gonna play football they need to run a faster 40 and so i can usually average about a tenth of a second off these uh athletes per month that's awesome and i just keep all their stuff tracked in record so that anybody wants to come to the gym they can i can show them 
this kid went from this to this. I had a kid who went from a 5-1 uh, to a 4-4, from a 5-1 to a 4-5 40-yard dash. He went from 190 pounds to 205 pounds. So he went up 15 pounds and knocked over a half second off his 40-yard dash. Went from a 30-inch vertical to a 42-inch vertical, all around 205, 210 range, I believe. That's amazing. Wow. And a lot of your guys went into the professional uh, sports as well, right? You had a number of people go NFL or professional. Yeah, I had three just get picked up this past year. I had one go to the Seahawks, I had one go to the Colts, and I had one go to the Texans. I've had people go to Tennessee. Uh, Will Lutz, uh, the kicker for the Saints, trained with me when he was in high school and college. That's amazing. You have some great clientele. Uh, for yeah. people who aren't familiar with your book, too, you have the Explosive Mechanics Jump Book. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that, too? Uh, yeah, I mentioned that on my podcast, um, a couple of years ago and people's just been hammering me, uh, about it ever since. And so, um, just trying to figure out how to word it, how to write it. And just to come, I didn't want to hire anybody out for it. I wanted to do all myself because if anything ever happened to the people that I hired to help me do the book, I got to wait and rely on them to do it. So I just went through the painful process of trying to figure out how to self-publish it, get my copyright laws and all that stuff so that if I need to make changes or if I need to come out with, I can, after the first one's done, I can do another one. Right. And so the book just goes in um, talking about like years ago, when I first started training athletes, I dealt with a lot of female athletes. And so they were coming to me because they needed to jump higher for volleyball. If they're not touching close to 10 foot on the vertex for volleyball, they don't get a, get a shot at getting a, a volleyball scholarship offer. I had some girls coming and just trying to figure all this jump stuff out. The, they would come and they'd train me. We would jump on boxes. So I try to talk about in the book, different methods we used um, of jumping. You know, you see people jumping with kettlebells. You see people doing depth jumps. You see people doing, hey, let's jump on boxes. They're doing a, a multitude of different jumps. And I had all my athletes doing that. And we were, they'd go to their relative uh, volleyball showcase or whatever and try to see what they were. And some of them may improve an inch. Some of them didn't improve at all. And some of them went down. So I said, shit, I got to figure this out. <laughs> For real. Yeah, because I was not I was not testing them. They were getting better at the stuff we were doing. Mm -hmm. But they were when they were going to getting uh their tryouts and trying to make the school or their respective clubs, their verticals are not changing. Like Jared, what the hell? And I'm yep. just sitting there thinking, you know, so having all these people test all the time on a monthly basis has really held me reliable so that I'm showing them and their parents now that we're getting better. Once I started getting the volleyball girl, like I had one girl go from a nine-two vertical touch to a 10 foot touch on the vertex. And so it's just, that's not increasing the inches. They just have it set at nine and stuff like that instead of having a, like a, the vertical jumps, what we do is like measured in 38, 40 inches and things like that. So, um, and I had a kid come to me in high school. He was a sophomore and wanted to dunk. And so I was able to get him to dunk a basketball as a high school sophomore, ended up going and playing uh, basketball for uh, overseas eventually. That's incredible. And the concept of testing athletes frequently is something that we've discussed in the past with guys like Bob King, Eric Diagati, and Matt Tomets, because they said, look, if you're that confident in your programming, test it and show the results. And in your yeah. case, you've done that time and time again, and you have been able to find a method that works for developing strength, power, and explosiveness in athletes. And, you know, there's a lot of trainers and strength coaches that they don't test their athletes. And it confuses me because again, if you're that confident in the programming, show it. And if there's not results, that's your chance to adjust and correct before the train completely derails itself. 
Yeah, I'm testing every four weeks. You know, at the, the last week of every month, I test my athletes. We're testing our 10-yard, our 20-yard, and our 40-yard. I've got the laser system set up to where it's a complete electronic laser. I use Brower timing mm -hmm. uh, to where it's just like the NFL combine. As soon as our hand flinches off the line, that time's ticking. And so I've got gates set up 10, 20, and 40. That way I can figure out what their back half is, where the front half's at, what's going on, where we where we missing. But a lot of times we don't even run to 40. I tell a lot of people, I don't work on running stance. I don't work on running technique or anything. Uh, we squat, we jump. If we if our vertical jumps go up, jumping and running are correlated. So if I know they're jumping higher, I know they'll run faster. So we really work on our force production with our jumps. I try to, I tell people just like in football, whatever, it's, I make them faster at the 40. I don't make them better at the 40. A lot of people spend so much time and technique issues is trying to, hey, let's try to be perfect, try to be perfect. And I did a video on my YouTube channel about a week ago. If you come off your first five yards and you're not online, you almost take out the first cone of all five yards. And then kind of, if you zigzag it, it only made a seven to nine inch difference out of 120 feet. And so what I've done in the past, just to try to figure out and how much technicality is all and everything, I've set lasers at 19 yards. So I'll put one at 19, 20, and 21. And so they're just one yard apart, which is just three feet. And so I'd have some of my uh, guys running four eights to five flats, which is kind of be about your average athlete. They would run and they're between the, the 19 to 20 was 0.11. Between 20 and 21 was 0.11. So we was only a 10th of a second per yard. And so I did the same thing. At, so I said, let's move them out, see what happens if we gain more speed. So if we start from zero all the way out to 40, it was still the same thing about 0.11, 0.12, you know? So we're only a 10th of a second per every yard. Right. And it's and a consistent so, speed throughout the entire range. It's yeah. not like they're, you know, significantly faster at the 19 yard mark than the 21 yard mark or vice versa. Yeah. So, yeah. So like it, by the time they went to, um, I was just trying to see how fast they were every three feet. And so then if you take at that 40 yard dash, if you're off even a foot, you're only about 0 0.03 off your 40 yard dash. So that makes someone's running a four, five, eight versus four, five, five, you know what I'm saying? So it's mm -hmm. being super technical and worried about all the stuff that people try to sell you on and not a lot of these people will try to sell you on the technicality and trying to be perfect and trying to, Hey, let's work on the running form, work on knee drive. Hey, let's work on running efficiency. The 40 yard dash is too short of a test to be efficient running. Right. I've had people go to, uh, I've had people come to me during season and being, I test every 40 yard dash from everybody that comes in a gym per month is you've seen kids. I've seen kids go from a four, eight, 40 yard dash to a five, two, 40 yard dash during track season. And so, um, I, I told these other parents, and I've got the folders to show all these things. Is this one kid went from running a five eight to a six two, and um, I even experienced it with one of my own sons. He was running track. He was very good at the uh, two hundred, um, and he went from a four eight to a five flat. So these kids were actually getting slower in track season. But what makes it so confusing is they're getting slower in the forty yard dash, but they're actually getting better at the one hundred and two hundred. Right. It's a sport specificity thing, right? If you run a hundred meters over and over, you're going to get better at running a hundred meters, yep. but a 40 yard dash is not a hundred meter dash. And the bad thing about track, especially for high school football athletes, track usually runs till May. Mm -hmm. And so if you have dropped from a four, eight to a five flat or a five, one, or whatever it may be, June's camp season. And so the first thing you do when you get to a football camp, they're going to test your 40 yard dash. They want to see who, if these kids are fast or not. 
And so a lot of times I think these uh, high school coaches or what have you, they just want to put the kids in track season, maybe to keep them in shape or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause it's definitely not making them faster. I've seen time and time over and over again that they're over most of the time in track, they overrun the athletes. Yep. They run too much and that endurance system overrides our strength and power. Um, so I'm a short sprint specialist, 40 or less, maybe 60 yards at the most for these baseball athletes. And speaking, I had a kid, you're talking about testing. A lot of times these speed training places don't test the athletes. I just had an athlete, uh, one of his agents paid him to go somewhere else because the guy did form running and speed training. A lot of times these speed coaches try to make the athletes faster by doing a lot of speed drills, by making them lighter, trying to get them to lose weight and hopes that they'll be faster. Well, this guy paid uh, this guy to train him $10,000. Yeah. That's a lot of money. His dad was pissed because his vertical jump didn't go up. Mm -hmm. 40 yard dash got a little worse. So he moved backwards instead of moving forward. Yeah. Although he even got lighter, which is, which is nuts. And uh, I just had a, um, the guy's transferred out of uh, Georgia Tech now. The starting quarterback was coming down uh, to see me three days a week. Uh, so my complete laser system, it's a little bit more strict. He was running. We went from a five flat 40 to a, a four, seven, 40 yard dash. We went from a 32 inch vertical to a, uh, I was trying to get him to 40, but uh, actually yesterday was his last day because he's got to fly out to Sam Houston. So he's going to finish up his school there um, as a grad transfer. And he's, he's much faster. Um, and he jumps higher, you know, so um, usually running and jumping correlated, like I said, if, if, if right. I get higher, his running is going to get better. Uh, but a lot of stuff we, we do to get our jumps up and our running speed, our running speed has been really correlated off our squat ratios. What do you have like charts or numbers that correlate between squat rep max or percentage of body weight squat rep max to overall sprint speed or sprint performance? Uh, I do. We have a, we use the Tendo unit every time we squat. And so I was trying to figure out what's the limiting factor because some of these kids were, Hey, Jared, I was getting stronger. Um, so then if we take what they were squatting at 0.6 meters per second, if it was a point, a 1.3 times their body weight, that's usually about a five flat 40 yard dash. And so I was, I was trying to search and find my squat ratios. I have a whole chart of where people were and what they did so that I was going to go over that. Like I had a kid that squatted 1.6 times his body weight, ran a four, uh, eight, one forty yard dash at 240 pounds. So although their body weight don't matter, it matters what their relative squat strength is at 0.6 meters per second. Years ago, I don't know what, uh, maybe American College of Sports Medicine, the athletes, they, what they did is they pulled athletes. You have athletes that squat 2.1 times their body weight versus athletes that squat 1.9 times their body weight. And these were division two college athletes. The athletes that squatted 2.1 were significantly faster than those athletes that squatted 1.9 times their body weight. And though in the testing, what they were did, they tested the 10 to 20 and the 40, just like I do. Mm-hmm. And that was just an absolute squat max. And so I even went further. I was finding characteristics of elite sprinters and um, what they all had about 5% body fat. They were talking about the leg length, but they also talked about their uh, relative squat strength. So you're, I think the average guys are weighing about 176 pounds that are squatting 2.5 times their body weight for your elite level uh, sprinters, you know, but a lot of the stuff that we read is like these, if you look at the college coaches and stuff that they post online, they're reading books that have been geared toward track sprint performance. 
and track sprint performance is very different from football or baseball or basketball or any of these other sports, right? Yeah, you, you have to be able to accelerate quickly from point A to point B. And if you look at Bolt, when he comes off the line, it takes him a little longer to get going. Mm -hmm. and so his running economy, his running efficiency is so much better. He's not wasting energy because 100 meters is a long damn way. Yeah, yeah. And so especially if you're playing football, if you're a linebacker, if you're a defensive man, you're not really running more than 10, 15 yards on a straight line. So your ability to play that sport better is your ability to accelerate. And if I sat there and I hammered and worked on my start times with my athletes, are we getting better because we can actually produce more force or are we technically better? In, in sport, you don't have time to worry about technique. Your arms and legs and stuff are going all over the place. Yeah, I completely agree. And I even make the argument, can you even change someone's technique, right? If they've been playing a sport for 10, 12 years, however long it's been before they come to you, can you honestly say that they're running drastically differently after you've done, what, two or three months worth of running drills for, what, three hours a week at most? That's not enough time to undo years and years and years of the form that they already have, right? Same thing with something like the deadlift, right? If someone comes to me and they say, look, you know, I've always pulled conventional deadlift and, you know, they want to start pulling sumo. I'm going to say, why am I going to undo, you know, eight to 10 years of powerlifting training mm -hmm. of you deadlifting conventionally to change it so you can now deadlift sumo? Like there's certain things that you have practiced time in and time out over and over again. And that movement patterns become so efficient for you that mm -hmm. I don't want to hit the reset button on that because that's what your body knows. Yeah. And if you try to hit the reset button, it's actually going to take you a lot longer to get better. Look at Tiger Woods through the years. Every time he's changed his golf swing, it's taken him much more time to come back from that new ingrained pattern. So he had to override the first one. Once you override the first one, it takes a certain amount of time. But once you try to override that second one, it almost takes double time to override the second one as it did the first time change. Right. Uh, just because you got to work on your neuromuscular pathways and things and, and overriding the sheath uh, theory. So, but yeah, so I just try to make sure I test my forties. Like if I got a kid that squats, I had a kid, the fastest kid in gym ran a 4.57. He was a baseball player, actually pitches at Brown university. He's the, he outran all the running backs. Um, and sometimes when they have a good 10 yard dash, I've had kids run a one six one ten and a one five five ten, and the one six one ten actually be better at the forty yard dash. So all these people say, "Hey, I need to work on my start. I need to work on my start." That's just stuff that we've been conditioned to think and kind of brainwashed into. Hey, I did. the only way to work on your start is to get your relative squat strength up, like we was talking about. Like that kid, that fast kid, he squatted one point seven five times his body weight at six meters per second, and so um, this one kid he squatted one point four nine times his body weight. Uh, 1.45 times his body weight. He ran a four five, uh, a four nine five. But the kid that squatted 1.61 times his body weight, almost 15. It's then he ran a four eight one. You know what I'm saying? So it's mm -hmm. kind of like he was 1.45. He was 0.15 on that, and he was almost 0.15 on his 40 yard dash. Right, right. And, and so then I had a kid. He's he came in as like super weak. I tested him. He squatted 0.97 times his body weight. He didn't even squat his body weight, but he ran a 5840 yard dash. And so um, then I had a kid come to me from uh, Birmingham, which is about three hours away. Didn't really know a whole lot about him. He was trying to get ready for his pro day stuff. And so I had him come in, test his 40 yard dash. And he actually was one of the first people, a few people that actually come in, start running a 483 to 481 range. And so I knew that that other kid, that ran at 481. This kid was a running back. So he was about 190, 195 pounds. The other kid that squatted 1.61 times his body weight was 240 pounds. And so 
he comes in, tests his 40, comes back a few days later, and we start squatting him. And uh, I've never seen a box squat. He don't know what a Tendo unit is. He's never been had access to all this stuff in college. And so, because we box squat with a Tendo unit, just to yep. monitor squat speed numbers. And I, I, I knew his body weight because I had him step on the scale and I knew what his 40-yard dash was. So I wrote his squat numbers down, what, how many sets and reps I wanted him to do based off his body weight and his 40-yard dash time. And then I got busy at the gym and I started going to work with some other kids. I said, oh shit, I got to go check, check on this kid. And um, I was asking this kid that he was squatting with about his squat numbers. He said, I'm doing this, this, this. And then you kid that I just wrote his squat numbers based off his body weight. Run, he chimes in. He said, the fastest I get is 0.6. He said, I got a 0. 0.6 and it started going 0. 0.5, 0. 0.4. And um, he said, I couldn't get, I could only get one. I, and so I stopped the whole gym and I said, I'm a freaking genius. <laughs> you know, because that shows you how real that squat ratio is. Right. You know, and for all the other kids that are there, they have access to all this stuff, but they don't know how to push and grind yet. But so I've been trying to coach everybody and trying to time them up. But then you got a kid that I've never seen squat before in my entire life comes in and his squat ratio matches 40 yard dash time. On the money too. It wasn't like, yeah, oh, I, mean, you know, I, I, I was surprised. So I had to stop the whole jam is tell everybody to come over here. Look how damn smart I was, you know, because <laughs> like, um, I need them to understand. Like I had a kid, Jared, I had to get any faster. We typed in his uh, squat ratio. He squatted 1.3 times his body weight. So that's why he was running a five flat five one. Right. Know? And I said, we've got to get this number up. But that number, that relative squat ratio number always does not correlate to the 40 yard to the 40 inch verticals. Right. And so the vertical kind of, jump is different. Yeah, we, we're all we're, although we're increasing our jump height and with the, with the jumps, the jumping with the dumbbells is almost like a hang cling or hang snatch, except for it translate a lot better to the sport. You know, like if you use the right load with the dumbbells, it elicits a powerful muscle contraction. And um, just the same way a power clean or hand clean would, and we're trying to still so trapped into the technical aspect of power. It's so much easier to teach a kid how to jump with the weights. But not only that is as these kids' vertical jumps go up, their 40-yard dash times get better. Right, and because you're improving better. overall power and explosiveness yeah, in that actually, same vector as the squat. Yeah, it's actually translating a lot more to sport by jumping with these weights at the right loads. Right. Right. And that's the key, the right load, because I've seen people do these like barbell jump squats, even in the past. And they've yeah. got, you know, 45 pound plates on each side. And I just look at them like, you know, I get what you're trying to do, but your load is way off because I'm guessing, you know, you're probably getting like, um, I'll say college football linebackers. You're probably doing what, like 25 to 40 pound dumbbells for the most part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things that you have to keep in mind the overall point of the plyometric activity. It's the quick change from uh, your eccentric amortization phase to a quick acceleration in the opposite direction. And mm -hmm. if you load too heavy, you're not going to get the acceleration like you want and you build yeah. low strength instead of explosiveness. Yeah. Cause I've had some athletes jump with a heavier dumbbell than I wanted, but they've always been very good guinea pigs for me because the athlete, Hey, let's try that. They're not scared. A lot of people I've had not scared to try. And so if we lower the dumbbells too heavy, our vertical jumps actually go backwards. Really? Yeah. And so that's why it's pretty critical. And there's a, there's a sweet range for a lot of different athletes. And I kind of go over the mathematical formula in the jump book about that is how to properly get the athletes to choose which weights to jump with. Um, and 
I was working with some uh, basketball players for our local university here uh, that they brought me in to become their strength coach for about two years. And the way I got the buy-in from my uh, basketball players is I jumped them all. <laughs> like, it's like, how does that make, they didn't, it didn't make any sense to them. Right. You know, like, how can this guy come in, this older guy, <laughs> out jump us all, you know? And once I did that, they're like, hey, coach, what do I need to do? Hey, what do I <laughs> You know, it's just, you got to earn your respect. And, and so a lot of those things I've given my athletes, I've done myself. I've uh, jumped the 37-inch vertical at 36, 37 years old. I forgot how it was. I was going to try to jump a 40 at 40. You know, that'd be sick. Right, right. And that's one of those things, too, that goes a long way in creating a more positive gym culture and overall relation with the people you work with. Because I've seen some trainers and physical therapists and chiropractors who they themselves don't exercise. And yep. to me, it's like, look, if you're going to give this to the people you work with, I would hope that you're at least able to do it. Maybe not as well. Like I can deadlift 500 pounds, but I've worked with people who deadlift 600. Mm -hmm. Some people are just a little bit more gifted than others, but I would hope that you're still able to move some significant weight or do something that carries over to the thing that you're trying to instruct people on. Because if you don't know about it yourself, that puts you even further back in how you can relate to people, how you can coach people and so on. Yeah, and it's... um. I just try to be an example. I had my own kids be examples. I had um, a high school junior weighing about 195 pounds, bench 405 for two. I've had about 13 high school athletes reach the 400s, and they started with me, some of them in the 100s, some of them probably at 95 pounds and worked their all the way up. I had a 17-year-old kid that started with me. I don't know exactly. He was probably 12 years old. So from the time he was 12 at a squat max at 95 pounds, by the time he was 17, I got him to squat 661 in a um, USAPL meeting, uh, power of wow. And so I've had three high school athletes squat 600. That's insane. But, but I think a lot of people get that absolute, oh, he squat 600, but can he play football? You know what? I had a 300 pound lineman at 6'2", jump a 34 inch vertical. And uh, the thing, and people want to kind of crap on the jump mat and things like that. It's a consistent measuring device. And so when I trained the 300 pound lineman to jump a 34 inch vertical, he went to his pro day and he jumped a 34 inch vertical in Vertec. And so then I had a kid, um, he jumped a 40 inch vertical and he didn't train for a couple months. Then um, he went and jumped a 39 inch vertical on the Vertec. And so then I had another kid, he trained, uh, went to pro day at Georgia Tech. He jumped a 35.1 vertical on the mat and he went to his pro day jump to 35 even vertical and so like some of these people are like hey you're cheating a jump mat cheating there's only so much you can cheat a jump mat and every time or most every time it's always been perfect when they go get tested somewhere else and that's the whole thing i want to do is when my athletes go get tested somewhere else they're getting the same or better results you know because with a complete laser system i'd have kids that go do the nike opening and things like that and they'll run a 4-8 at the gym but they're running a, a a five flat at the opening and I was like something's not right and so that's when I went and got the hand start and made sure I had everything so now when they were going off and running what they were supposed to I know if someone told me they're running slower they're lying now right and another element of your training approach that really stands out to me is the overall specificity of it right like you said you want athletes to run faster and jump higher and your training approach mirrors that and you found that the two correlate pretty well and I think a lot of people really don't understand that, right? Like I look at some of these return to run programs, right? Say an athlete gets injured. Hopefully they never do, but say an athlete gets injured, blows out their ACL. Well, 
a lot of protocols or programs will send that athlete back to run for the, before they've ever jumped on two legs. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever seen someone run, they land on one leg and then they ran, land on the next leg and the next leg and the next leg. So to me, it's like, why are we clearing people to run where they're landing on one leg, single leg force absorption repeatedly? Mm-hmm. We haven't even looked at what two legs looks like. And yeah. we know that if we increase force and strength and power on those two leg patterns, double leg squat, box jump, those type of uh, jump patterns, force patterns, they're going to get better at running. So why don't we start with two leg and hit that as hard as we can until we can get back to that point. Where we're actually confident that they can do things like a single leg box jump, single leg depth jump without issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I'm speaking a little bit more to the rehab side of things here because that's what I'm more most familiar with as a physical therapist. But it just baffles me that people don't think like this because to us, it seems kind of common sense for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah, and that's like... Um you'll get some people like Jared, why don't like, we can get 10th of a second off an athlete average a 10th of a second off an athlete's 40 yard dash per month with no running. Then they're like, why don't you run them? And why do you run them? And these people over here run them. Well, the people running the athletes all the time, don't test the athletes in the 40 yard dash on a monthly basis. You know, they're making the athletes feel, you know, everything's such a feeling based society now is they feel better. Hey, I feel faster. I've had kids go off to college. Hey, Jared, to come back. I feel faster. I test a 40, they're actually slower. So I said, I don't care what you feel like. Yep. All I care about is what your numbers should tell me. You know, that's how we know if you're fast or not, not what you feel. You know, hey, I feel smooth. Well, you're slow as shit now. <laughs> um, right. And so I'll, that's one of the, and I've had kids come in. I don't feel like test my 40. I'm not, I don't feel good about running 40. And they actually come in and break the 40 yard dash records. Then you got kids that have not been there in a while and they come back and, hey, ooh, I'm, I need, I got some work to do. And another thing, I had a kid years ago that was going to a, a speed place. Then I had another kid that was just coming to me, and they both played baseball. And they kind of, uh, their dads knew each other. Well, the first year, both of them ran a 7-2, 7-3, dash. So one kid came to me, and the other kid was going to a speed and agility place where they just worked on bag drills, worked on running and stuff like that. A year later, that one kid ran a 7-2, yard dash. And the kid who was coming to me ran a 6-6, 60-yard dash. Wow. And that other dad came to me and said, what are you? Everybody's trying to figure out what the hell am I doing? I'm not, I'm getting them stronger in measures of their uh, strength speed, you know, because we're measuring how relative strong we are moving a certain weight at a certain speed relative to how much we weigh. It's just not, hey, I'm getting stronger. I'm getting stronger. If you're not increasing that ratio, that's going to be your limiting factor. But once you squat about 1.8 times your body weight and you're not running the 40-yard dash, that squat at that point in time, once we eliminate that, that may not be your limiting factor. Right, right. There's other things that you have to look at at that point. Yeah, because I had some high school kids that went to, uh, that was training with me. Uh, we went from a 5-740-yard dash to a 5-340-yard dash. They quit coming. They started going to school weight training through the summer and through football season. And they came back still running a 5-340-yard dash. <laughs> so that just goes to show if, if you're not understand, although they were working out and things like everybody thinks it's all the same and it's not. And so they were going to high school working out seven months at that time. They came back. They were still running the same damn thing they did when they left. Right, right. But then once they come back, it's like, okay, now I'm at a 5-2, a 5-flat. Five now I'm running 4-9. But then that vicious cycle, because I pretty much only have my football athletes January to July. 
or mid-July because now they got to get ready for season. It's too hard for them to come in and try to maintain some stuff through the season, although I do have a few kids that do. Um, and so, like I said earlier, if they're going to go to track practice after football season, so if those kids that ran a 5-3 and they went to track practice and they're going to come to me in May and June, that's not enough time to get our 40 back to where it was. And so um, I had a local high school coach that knew how good I was at getting the 40-yard dash times. Uh, so he sent his two uh, sons to me for the entire uh, spring semester, although he was a head coach of the football uh, around here. Um, he was also in charge of the weight room stuff, but he sent his two kids to me. Well, they went to camp, got the numbers. Now they're both going to uh, school on full rides, went to a D1 university. You know, it's just those numbers are important. And that's the first thing, like I said, when you get to a, a college, like these college camps coming up in a few weeks, they're going to test a 40 yard dash. If you're not running a 40 yard dash on to the next person. I had someone years ago that was telling me the uh, Atlanta Falcons, one of their requirements for a running back was running a four, five, six. And so what they did is they looked at that Excel spreadsheet and went and circled all the four, five, sixes are faster. Then they looked at the names. Then they looked at the film. And so numbers matter. I don't care. Numbers matter in a ball game. Numbers matter in your checking account. Numbers matter on the bar at the end of the day. Right. You know, it's, Numbers matter in golf. No matter what the sport is, numbers always matter. And so, and, and I tell people, I said, why are you coming in here? Why do people go places and not monitor numbers? I said, not monitor numbers is like going to work without getting paid. And the thing about the numbers is the path to get there. As you mentioned before, it's not necessarily the most glamorous thing, right? You're not putting athletes through these trendy workouts they saw on social media. You're not, you know, oh, hey, I saw this new, like, you know, reverse backwards hack squat, eyes closed thing or something like something ridiculous like that. You stick with the basics. You stick with what works. I think it shows when you look at your overall gym environment, because you go in a lot of different gyms and people got, you know, 40, 50 different machines. They've got, you know, six different shoulder press machines, five different chest press machines. That's all well and good. But at the end of the day, all of that variety isn't going to get you better at the one thing that you're trying to get better at. And that's where the training goal importance, like we talked about earlier, comes into play. You know what you want to get better at and you match your training to that. And unfortunately, we're filled in a, we're in a world where we're filled with a lot of different fluff and eye candy type things, or as you mentioned before, how you feel, you know, some yeah. athletes want to feel completely burnt out and exhausted after they work out. And I'm willing to bet that some athletes get done with your training and they feel alive and energetic and they yeah. don't feel burnt out and tired and fatigued the rest of the day. Yeah, some of them, some of them come out of the gym without even sweating. And the parents <laughs> like, what, what's going on in here? I said, I told them, I said, it don't matter what I do as long as their numbers improve, right? Right. And, and so sometimes we're like, we're conditioned to think they need to come out with their tongues hanging out of their head. They need to look like they went to work. You know, it, it's a totally different training process. We, we rest about a minute between each jumps we do, and we just do single jumps. You know, we're not over there doing multiple hops. And, and I like that you said the one thing, what's the one thing that we need to do? Well, if we, once we get to our 40 inch vertical, we will then, we could do work on hurdle jumps. Mm -hmm. Then we can work on depth jumps. Then we can work on the other stuff that we have not because now you have that main focus. If I have a kid, if I get him to a 41 or 42 inch vertical, he don't come for three months, he comes back. He's still pretty much right there, a 40 inch vertical. For some reason, it does not drop a whole lot. And I've not understood that. So I had this girl went and played uh, softball at UGA. I got her to a 30-inch vertical when she left. She'd kind of come back in the summer, so we'd try to get that maintained. But then after, then she, after she quit playing softball, five years later, um, 
she had moved off. She'd had a full-time job. Um, they had not done anything athletically in five years. And uh, she came back to the gym, did a podcast with her. And without anything athletic in five years, she still jumped the 25 inch vertical, which, That's which is, it went down five inches, but she had gained weight and not done anything, which, and so then I had another kid. He went, uh, played for the Rams, tours Achilles and had not done anything. And we went from a, a 32 inch vertical to a 38 inch vertical. By the time I get them, like I just had a kid, that kid left me yesterday going um, to Texas to play, uh, to finish up his football career. Uh, we got to a 39-4 vertical. <laughs> we didn't quite get to my 40 and he's gone. You know what I'm saying? And it's, but we started off at a 32. It takes time to get there. Right. Uh, but the guy for the Rams tore his Achilles, did not play. And so he got released and he had to go home, start working a full-time job, got married, wife and kid. And had, he had not done anything athletic within about three years. Okay. So he's just been working and stuff. And um, then I had all of my college guys in there that looked up to him when he was at the Rams. Now these kids are getting ready for their NFL time. And we were just all coming back as a group and, you know, just kind of like a homecoming, so to speak. And uh, I said, won't you jump with them? And he's kind of scared to jump because he's not, he's not done anything. Yep. And after not have done anything in three years, he still jumped to 35.5. So it did not, it did not go down that, you know, so the other girl after five years went down five inches. Yep. And he, this guy was three, was three years, almost went down three inches. You after know, so, a blown Achilles, nonetheless. Yeah. And no jumping or squatting or anything. He still maintained that level of explosiveness, which, which is nuts. And that's why, like I said, a kid can go three months and come back and still almost jump the same thing. Right. You got to get that one thing. You got to get to that one point. Then you can start working on, Hey, if you want to go do this fancy thing over here, go do whatever you want to now, you know, like right. let's, work, let's work on your reactive jumps, you know, cause jumping over hurdles is a lot different than just jumping off the ground. Cause you got to react to the, uh, your landing. Once we figure out the limiting factors, once we get that one thing checked off, and once we get our relative squat to that one point, you got to have your dough. If you're making a pizza. Yep. And, and so if you don't have that base of that one thing that you need in order, Hey, I'm running a four, eight, 40 yard dash at a 1.8 times body weight uh, squat at six meters per second. Uh, well, squatting more is not your limiting factor. Something else is holding you back, you know? So uh, once we figure out where the relative numbers are and if we're matching it, so I'm, I'm trying to get my females figured out. I'm trying to get my males and even the young kids. And I've tried it so hard to figure out if I get the people that don't want to work hard better, I can almost get anybody better. For sure. For sure. Yeah. There's certainly an element of like mental buy-in with the whole thing as well. And some athletes work better with that than others. Uh, going back to your point though, the fact that people can maintain, athletes can maintain that level of explosiveness and their body remembers how to jump even, you know, years after they've last jumped or done anything athletically, that alone is incredible. And it speaks to the importance of building that physiological reserve at a younger age. Mm -hmm. After you get out of sport, if you want to go and you want to do a bodybuilder type split, or you want to do some other type of training approach, go for it. You're still probably going to maintain that athletic element because of the work you did when you were young. Yep. But when you're young, if you don't have that specific training element, like we've talked about, in mind, if you don't have that goal of I'm going to be a better athlete instead of, well, I'm just going to look better. I'm going to get bigger muscles or, you know, I'm going to have 20 inch arms or whatever that way, then you're going to get sidetracked and your athletic 
athletic ability will never take off the same way it would if you focus your training to that. And I'm willing to bet again that a lot of the athletes that come to you and they get stronger in the squat and they get stronger in the bench press and they improve their vertical jump, they probably develop quite a bit physically as far as aesthetics go. And I'm I'm also willing to bet while I'm gambling away here that some of them probably get more muscle doing that type of training approach than they would a bodybuilder type split working, you know, 20, 25 sets per muscle group in a single workout, working to failure, working with like a 50% one rep max load. Those are not necessarily the kind of things that will produce the lasting change that you want to see long-term unless you enhance it with some other things that don't go well with athletics. Yeah. Yeah. I, you'll have some kids that come to the gym and they'll, they'll Jared, that kid's a freshman. <laughs> I said, no, in high school. Yeah. And so there, there's, once they start with me, and I talk about training years, once they start with me, like at seven or eight years old, by the time they get to about 15, 16, 17, they are freaks. I had a little girl, um, weigh 80 pounds at 10 years old, bench 105. I think she may, may have done 110 in competition, 104, 110. I think she missed 115. That's not bad for a 10-year-old little girl that weighs 80 pounds in, in a USAPO where they got to come down, pause, and press. She also squatted double body weight. It's just, but she also had a 7'6 broad jump. And so uh, I think she had a 27-inch vertical. <laughs> That's unreal for a little girl. You know, it's, you can do so much, but you got to just be patient with, with the stuff that you do. You know, like sometimes these athletes just get impatient with, Hey, I want to do this, do this. And sometimes it's not about how much you do in one day because we, we squat and we jump frequently. It's not about how much you do in one day, because we're going to come back again and get it again and get it again. It's our frequency. So if you do too much in one day, you're not going to recover enough. And so the reason I don't spread the athletes when we're, uh, on a monthly basis, like I test it, but we don't do a lot of sprinting workouts because I got to get them to understand how important important the squat is because if they get fat if they're squatting at the gym and they're running at the gym and i test a 40-yard dash they're going to think they got better for 40-yard dash because they ran more right right that kind of goes on with the common thought oh they got better because they ran no they got better because they squatted so just eliminate the sprinting and get them stronger so that you can see what and you know it's kind of baffling to some of these parents that we're not over there working on our start stance. We're not over there working on where our feet go. We're not working on any of that. We're squatting, we're jumping, and we're getting our accessories with our uh, Nordics and our GHRs and all that stuff for our lower back and our hamstrings are 45 hyper. We're building all that, but then yeah, at the end of the month, we kind of come over here and we test. So it's kind of like everything's set up to where you got the gym on this side, put it together. At the end of the month, let's go over here on this other side. Oh, did what, what we're working over here, did it show out? It's just like a science experiment. You got to go in the lab, then you got to go out in the field and test it. You got to go back to the lab, got to go out in the field and test it. And that's kind of how I run things. But if I do have a kid that has to get ready for like the summer camp season, and they've been with me long enough, they know how important the squat is to where they'll write their squat speeds down per set and not even run what they're running. So we'll once we're trying to get ready for that, I'll have a kid, we'll squat, we'll jump, and we'll work on 20-yard sprints. But I limit the 20-yard sprints to three sprints the, uh, because we're going to come in and get it next time too. And so what the kids feel, oh, I ran a 2-8-1. I need to run a, a 2-7-9. And so if you come in and I had a kid didn't believe me, and so he came in on a Wednesday, he ran about six 20-yard sprints. I said, you didn't ask me for six sets of squat. Mm-hmm. I said, when we're sprinting, that's still a load. 
I said, it don't feel like load, but it's still load. And so then when he came back in on Friday, his squat numbers were bad and his run times dropped a little bit. And so then I get, we had Saturday, Sunday off and he came back in on Monday and we squatted numbers, squat numbers up, sprint numbers were a little better, but he stopped at three because he learned if we do too much running, it actually, because being that we're doing it so frequently is actually messing you up. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say, uh, we had Bob King on the show back in January, and he was talking about when he was with the Dallas Cowboys and the Dallas Mavericks, the approaches he used with conditioning for players, because that's an element of the game too. You want people to be fast and strong, but you also need to make sure they last the full game. And he just kind of threw the whole conditioning thing to the side. He said, look, you know, ultimately, if we run them fast, they'll find a way to recover in training. And when the game comes around, they'll find a way to recover because it matters a lot more. There's a lot of the physiological endorphin type effect. So his preferred distance at the time, I think he said it was like 80 meters or 100 meters, something like that, that he was conditioning these athletes with. And he said, I had a time for each athlete. As soon as they fell outside of that time window, we stopped the whole thing. It was like, okay, you know, you're done for today. Hang up your cleats. Or they had a max of like five sprints in total with five minutes recovery in between. A lot of people don't condition their athletes like that. A lot of people don't coach the strength and speed element together. A lot of them look at it as in like, well, we need to get them faster. So we're going to run them up the hill. And then they're going to walk back down and then they're going to run up again. They're going to run up again. And the next thing you know, you've done 30, 50. Even when I was in high school for soccer, we did up to 70 hill sprints in a single session. Oh, and then we had practice the next day. So what is that really doing for someone outside of making them completely exhausted? You're not actually improving the elements of sport that you want to. You're just tiring someone out and setting them up for, you know, disaster, lower performance, higher risk of injury, and so on. Yeah, and that's the whole point about the coach, like you said earlier, about the coach not testing. They're running the crap out of them, but they're not testing any variables. Yep. And so you're just going to kill the kid and not knowing what you're doing because you're not testing. The only way to know anything is to test to see if it's working. And so you got to come up with better tests for conditioning and things like that. You know, it's, but like you said, the effort that we're putting in behind our jumps and our squats and our lifting and the heat, because we don't have a, the gym's not air conditioned. (laughs) (laughs) And you're in Georgia nonetheless. Yeah. And so if it's 90 or 95 degrees outside, it's 90, 95 degrees inside. And so the, the point of that is being in the heat's a form of conditioning itself. Yeah, for sure. So if you're out, so if you're playing football where you got to put on pads and fight resistance against your opponent, you're doing the same thing in the gym. You're fighting against that load in the heat, just like you would. And so when they are out to the field, they are conditioned to be in that situation instead of working out in, in an air conditioned weight room environment. It, it's not probably a common thought process, but being in the heat, it's, it's, it's real. It's, it's a form of conditioning itself. And these athletes, when they leave me and they go out and play their football, they're not dying over like a lot of other kids are, you know, and I tell these kids to get ready for this camp season, I'll start conditioning for that. Cause if, especially my linemen, because they already got the strength and the power at this point, there's no, I'm not going to add that much within a few weeks, but I can get them in a little bit better shape because if that coach is watching you and you sit over there bent over, which you may not get an offer because you're tired. If you're tired in front of a coach, they, they think you're lazy. Yep. And I mean, I think your gym motto from what I saw on your website before was shut up and work. I mean, it's plain and simple like that. You mentioned about the heat and the fact that you don't have AC. 
but also keep in mind the overall environment that you invite in the gym, right? It's charged, it's emotional, and people get fired up. Well, guess what? When game time rolls around, people are charged, people are fired up. You get the same kind of environment in the gym that you do in the game. So yeah. when you match all of those other variables like you do, you take a lot of the guesswork out because, you know, sure, someone could go and they could train themselves at like a Gold's Gym or one of these big box gyms for, you know, probably less money, but they're not going to get the same results. They're not going to get the same environment unless they can somehow create that themselves, which, and at the end of the day, you might not get where you want to be. You might not achieve those goals. You said it time and time again, you have a proven track record of people who come here, get faster, they jump higher. Oh, and by the way, they get offers. They play in college, they play professionally, and so on. And to me, that's the winning formula. You've got it figured out, right? You've proven uh, time and time again that you can succeed. It's one of those things that why would anyone do anything else? I had a kid, actually, a story about that is I had a, I just got a new uh, person started coming in yesterday uh, because this, uh, he's uh, about to be a senior, just finished up his junior year. Him and this freshman had the same bench max. <laughs> now the freshman benches 40 pounds more than he does so the freshman is repping well he's got a 40 pound bench max ahead of the uh the, the junior guy and the junior guy said what the hell are you doing where are you going <laughs> and so it's kind of like they they understand now that if especially if you're a junior and you're looking for offer and you got this freshman that's getting stronger than you you're trying to figure out what the hell the other freshman's doing right right and so i had a kid at 220 ran a 4.7 this past month as a high school sophomore that's insane 220 and, pounds and he's dropping times that are almost nfl level yeah and it's so hard i hate sometimes i hate seeing my 40 yard dash times because people still don't really get it right um, because of that complete laser especially where the hand is there are other timing systems out there but the brower used to be used in the nfl combine uh years ago so it's, it's, like, it's super strict and super sensitive to your hand and you got some other ones that have like a laser system or maybe have like a wrist band or something we're 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 the same between 20 to 40 but i had some kids go to a combine yesterday that was uh supposed to be complete laser and they're usually running about a two eight something into 20 um but yesterday with a different laser system they were running two sixes in the 20 and so as and i've had some other people that i've talked to uh that message me through instagram or um have talked or even called me and we've kind of gone over the different laser systems and so that's kind of like it's hard when i say a four seven i had a kid that ran a four seven flat went to penn state and penn state time at a four four so that becomes the question now of is it your timing system is it their timing system or isn't is it even a combination of both right well, one of those... they, most of the times they hand time once they get those kids to hand time yep i'm, I'm usually about two tenths of a second slower and wouldn't that and even the national strength conditioning association research journals show about that same time difference and i've kind of seen that over and over again with my stuff right and you'd rather be on the end of the spectrum that you are and saying okay you're actually faster than we think you are instead of saying okay you know sure you just ran a four three but you're actually running a four four five yeah i'd rather i'd rather them test slow at the gym hey hey dan i run a four seven when you get to the combine, okay, the coach says, oh, he may not, but then you get timed at a four or five, then you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> yep, yep. It, catches the, uh, it catches the eyes and it gets the attention on you, which mm -hmm. if you're trying to go into college or professional sports, that's what you want. You want the spotlight on you. Yeah, the, um, I, I told his kid, uh, 
when he was at his pro day and you could hear it on Twitter because they had the video. As soon as he finished the 40, uh, 40 yard dash, the guys go, shit. I said, that's the best compliment you could ever get. You know, it's like, cause I didn't, that means they didn't expect it. And so then, like you said, my time, I'd rather say I run a four, eight and then go somewhere and run a four, six. Um, but I had a kid that told me he ran a four, seven, 40 yard dash. I tested him at the gym. It was a five, two. And so he is like, is this even right? You know, like that can't, and uh, it can't be right. And what ended up happening, we went from a five, two to five, one to a five flat. This is one of the kids that I had to get ready for camp season to four, nine. And the next month when he went tested camp, they tested him at a four, eight. So he was close to his four, seven, like he initially said, but it took a long time to get there. Like you said, sometimes it takes time to get to those goals. Yeah. Imagine if he wouldn't have been coming and they would have tested him at a five, two. Yeah. Off you know the team. Cause we were going, we were five, two, five, one, five flat, four, nine. And the next month that four, eight would have been right on path. So whatever timing system they timed was, would have been very close to what I would have done almost down to the 10th of a second, you know? And, and so if he would have not come, he'd been screwed for real. And so then I had this other kid, um, he was coming he said, I'm gonna run a four, seven, 40 yard dash. I looked at a squat ratio. I said, no. I said, you're going to run a, a 507 to a 5.12. And uh, he said, there's no way. He said, I'm gonna run. I said, I said, if you run a 4.8, I'll give you 100 bucks. And um, he actually did not get the 100 bucks, but he ran a 505. So it was faster, a little faster than you thought, but he was nowhere said, close to what he was saying. I said a 507 to a 5.12, but he, he, he had to freaking beat me by getting that 505. But that's how close, again, those squat ratios, I could tell what he was going to run by what he squatted at 0.6 meters per second. But sometimes now I'm getting a lot of people because I did a podcast on cheating the tendo. A lot of these kids kind of come up and flip the bar like that up at the top. And it gives them, they got the better number. But now when we're going over and running our 40, they think just because they figured out how to get a higher number or how to cheat a better number, it's going to actually be better at a 40 yard dash. I said, no, you actually have to do it this way. And so trying to teach them how to clean up the squat in order for the ratio thing to work like it's supposed to. Right, right. It has to be correlated and it has to be an honest squat and not yep. just something that, you know, you brute force or, you know, forget the form and that sort of thing. The quality of it matters, uh, which is something I mentioned before about physical therapy and rehab. I feel like that population or that profession is uniquely suited and I'm willing to talk about it since I'm in it myself. We're uniquely suited to make a difference with that, right? I can improve someone's ankle mobility by 10 degrees in a matter of minutes that can drastically improve squat form if yep. that's an issue. But why am I not doing that? Why are, why is our profession not looking into that? Because the realm of performance training is in need of getting people to perform repetitions cleaner and with better form, right? A lot of these kids, if they're in school, they're probably sitting down seven, eight hours a day. They probably got tight hips. Their ankles probably don't move near as much as they should. So naturally, if I can get them moving better, that's going to carry over to on-field performance, performance in the gym, and so on. And again, the question is, why aren't we? Why aren't we looking at that? And I'm willing, I know you can do the same thing with different stretches and band mobilizations, but your time is there to get the athlete stronger and faster. Mm -hmm. And if you start filling your own bucket with too many different things, well, now I've got to chase this rabbit, this rabbit, this rabbit, and this rabbit. 
and you're not going to end up getting any of them because you've got too many things that you have to focus on. I hope that in the future, we can start seeing people use more of an approach like um, I'm a big fan of Dr. Kelly Sturette. We had him back on on, uh, February on the podcast Mm -hmm. and just the overall approach of, okay, this is going to tackle the mobility and the movement. These are the things we have to check off before we get to squatting and deadlifting five or 600 pounds. We know we need to get there, but hey, if I can't even do a basic body weight squat with good form, loading a bar with four or 500 pounds probably isn't gonna put me any closer to running faster. Yeah, the, um, that ankle mobility is as far as free squatting with these athletes is big time. Cause you can tell if a kid walks around and I said, man, your ankles are pretty damn tight. <laughs> when you put them up under the bar, then it can't squat right. You know, it kind of gets jammed up. Right. And, can't quite sink into the hole and so um until we get the ankle mobility so i I still try to i still got to try to squat them to get them stronger but we may squat with um we use a bot what i call the bob from west side barbell it's just like it's almost basically like a slant board yeah put i I put that up under the heels now we're able to strengthen our vmo and get a little bit stronger but then our accessory work in the gym now becomes stuff to loosen up the ankle so that we can get in that squat position without that device to help us get deeper in the swap position. Jared, this has been an amazing episode. We've talked about a little bit of everything as it relates to developing athletes, strength training for athletes, power development, strength develop, speed development, all kinds of amazing things. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts or closing remarks you want to mention to people listening? Not that I could think of. I just kind of go on rambles and get on different rants and fall down <laughs> different rabbit holes as I go on about stuff. You know, you kind of heard that as we We've been talking here, but no, Dan, I really appreciate you having me on. For sure. For people who want to check out your page, your gym, and find out more about you, where can they find you? Um, Explosive Mechanics on Instagram, Explosive MEC on Twitter, Facebook, Explosive Mechanics. Um, I also have my own podcast, which would be the Explosive Strength Podcast with Jared Bidney, and that's on Spotify, iTunes, Pandora, all platforms, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Amazon Music, or whatever. Awesome. We'll make sure to link to all of that in the description below. So if you didn't quite catch it, you can just click there. Jared, really appreciate your time and for coming on and sharing your knowledge with us. Hey, thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you like this episode, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and share this episode with a friend who you think would enjoy hearing it. Additionally, if you want to help support this podcast and keep future episodes going, please check out our links below where you can support us directly or through engaging in any of our affiliate marketing links. Last, please make sure you check us out on social media at Braun Body and leave a five-star review, especially if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify.